now transition into our teaching time. Um, we will do that with the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that we uh, pray on a regular basis. At this time, uh, the children do have an experience, right, Jan? <laughs> so if you have any uh, young people, of course, we do have nursery care available for little, little people. Of course, all children are welcome to stay during the entire worship service. Uh, any young people, K through fifth grade, we have a special experience tailored to them uh, that goes on during the second part of our worship experience, which is the teaching time. Um, so, of course, all young people are welcome to stay here, but there's a little more uh, tailored to their uh, level, uh, to their uh, imaginations and, and their uh, mind uh, happening at this time. So they can uh, follow Miss Jan there. And I think Megan was helping her out. And uh, we will transition together as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray now this prayer that Jesus Christ taught us on the Sermon on the Mount. We are praying the common English Bible version, which is a little different than maybe the traditional versions uh, if you grew up in the church. So do follow along with the screen. Let us pray together. Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Well, I want to welcome everyone again uh, to New Life and to this Easter Eve service. It's been a wonderful uh, opportunity for uh, myself over the last couple of days. Uh, I was able to worship uh, with some of you at Roscoe on Monday, Thursday, able to worship at Heartland yesterday for Good Friday. Now we are worshiping in the third leg of the Holy Tritium, uh, which is the Easter Vigil or Easter Eve service, which has kind of fallen out of favor. Uh, and I can't remember the last time that I've worshipped at Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Eve. So uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to be able to just have four worship experiences in a row. And I uh, encourage, of course, everyone to uh, you know, see your family, see your friends, and go worship with them tomorrow morning as well. So I welcome all of you, all of you guests. I know there are a lot of family and friends here, and I'm so glad you're here. And uh, just want to thank you for uh, being part uh, of our experience tonight. I uh, also want to just welcome all of those who are joining on our podcast, which has really taken off, and uh, thank all of those who join us uh, from across the nation. Uh, welcome. Uh, my prayer is that uh, all of those here tonight and all of those listening online and, and listening through our podcast uh, walk away from this time, walk away from this evening, knowing truly that God loves you. Uh, if you take nothing out of this entire experience, uh, but one thing, that's the one thing I want to be upfront about. I want you to leave knowing how much God loves you. For the last six weeks, we've been focused on that very thing. We've been focused on our God and the love our God has for us. Uh, we've been doing a series called Crazy Love uh, by Francis Chan. We ended that series last week but it was a wonderful time. Uh, we, we, we spent the entirety of length, six weeks, really trying to understand who God is, how much God loves us, why God loves us, and what our response to that love should be. Tonight, we're going to do something a little different. We're actually going to uh, learn together the history of salvation. Uh, this is what traditionally the Easter Vigil would have been a time when you would actually have repeated the entirety of salvation and really looked and seen that throughout 
creation, throughout time, throughout history, God has been trying to be in love with us. God has been trying to be in relationship with us. God has gone out of God's way to show us how much God loved us. So let's take a time. Let's just take a moment, step into God's presence, shut off our minds. You know, we all probably got plans tomorrow. It's a big holiday. We've all been running around. I've been running around today like crazy. Had a wonderful, wonderful opportunity this morning to celebrate with our community. So let's just put all of that out of our heads and truly focus on this God that we worship, our God. Hear these words from Genesis. There's going to be a lot of scripture tonight. Uh, It's all going to be on the screen, so I encourage you to read along just to kind of repeat that in your head as I read it. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep seas, and God's wind swept over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God created humanity in God's very own image. In the divine image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God saw everything He had made. It was supremely good. The story of salvation begins with our God. Our God created the heavens and the earth. Our God created 250 million galaxies. Or 350 million. Our God created light. And God created a separation between light and darkness. God created the sea and separated the sea from the sky. God created land and put animals in the land, put animals in the sea, put animals in the sky. Filled the world with plant life and vegetation. Filled the world with minerals. Filled this very earth with billions of different wonderful things and filled the universe with millions of more. But God's ultimate triumph, the one thing God was most proud of, was humanity. It was the masterpiece, the centerpiece of creation. You see, God's creation is good. Throughout the first couple chapters of Genesis, we read that the creation is good. But God saw in humanity not something that was good, but something that is supremely good. Hear those words. Sometimes we think that humanity by nature isn't good, but God sets us straight in the very beginning of Scripture saying, humanity is supremely good. Why? Because humanity is created in God's own image. Our God intended for humanity to live with Him in union. That was the intent. In the paradise, in the garden. But humanity was created in God's very own image, which means humanity had the opportunity to choose not to be in relationship with God. And that's what happened. (laughs) Adam and Eve, those first people, they turned away from God. Their son Cain turned away from God, killing his brother in cold blood. Others followed. Their children and other children would turn away from God until the world would almost all be broken. That relationship was all but gone. The relationship God had intended for humanity, that relationship God had intended between us and Him, was almost shattered within the first few centuries or millennium or however you believe long that time period was. But our God didn't give up on us. You see, by the time Noah came around, 
Humanity had just walked away from God. Humanity wasn't in relationship with God at all. Humanity had given into a lifestyle that was really self-destructive. Not as just individuals, but as a, as a community, the entirety of humanity. The earth itself had become overrun with sin. Those things that take us away from God. And God needed to intervene. See, God could have wiped the entire earth clean. Could have destroyed all of creation and reformed it. But God saw that there was at least one family, a man named Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives. And he said, this one family is still faithful to me. And so I will renew the earth. I will wipe everything away with a flood and Noah and his family will be free. They will be safe. And I will set them up as the matriarchs and patriarchs of a humanity that will be in relationship with me. So Noah built a big boat, put all kinds of animals on it, and God flooded the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Waters came over the entire earth. And eventually they receded. And God made an important covenant with Noah and all future generations. Hear these words from Genesis chapter 9. God said to Noah and his own sons, I am now setting up my covenant with you, with your descendants, and with every living being with you, with the birds, with the large animals, and with the animals on the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that you will never again, uh, or, or never again will all life be cut away by flood waters. There will never again need to be a flood to destroy the earth, God said. This is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation that I have placed a bow in the clouds. It will be there a symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. God made a covenant between humanity early on that he wanted to truly be in relationship with them. Now God is making another covenant even in the very early stages of Scripture, even in the early stages of history, that prime history, primeval history, God creates a rainbow as a covenant that he will never destroy the earth again. Now time passes and much of humanity forgets about God. But there was one family who remained faithful. It was only a few generations well, before the earth kind of turned away from God once again. But there was a man named Abram who would later be called Abraham. And he left everything he knew to follow God. God said, Abraham, go, leave your home, take your family. And Abraham said, yes, Lord, I will go. God promised Abraham in his very old age, over the age of 90, that he would be the father of a great nation, even though he had no children. A wonderful promise. God promised Abraham and Sarah that through their children, the world would come to know God in a real way. Abraham did have a son. The promise God made was fulfilled. And the son was named Isaac. But something strange happens. God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac, to go up to a mountain and to kill him, to sacrifice him in God's honor. The heir of the promise God had made with Abraham was now in danger of being killed. But Abraham loved God and obeyed God. Thankfully, before he killed Isaac, before Abraham let his knife hit his son's chest, God said, wait, stop. I've provided a lamb for the sacrifice. That's imagery that you need to hold on to in your mind now. 
because it's going to come up again and again. God said, I've provided a lamb for this sacrifice. And this is what God says to Abraham on that mountain in Genesis 22. I give my word as the Lord that because you did this, because you honored me, and because you didn't hold back your own son, your only son, I will bless you richly and I will give you countless descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the seashore. They will conquer their enemies' cities. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because of your descendants, because you obeyed me. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them and so are you, as the song goes. Abraham walked and trusted God fully. Therefore, the relationship between God and humanity was reestablished. Now, Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac would continue that relationship. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob would become Israel, and Israel would keep that relationship, and Israel would have 12 sons. And Israel would have a son named Joseph, and Joseph would bring his family down to, uh, to Egypt to save them from famine, to save them from coming uh, trials. And so that's what happened. The children of Israel, the entire people of God, moved everything they had down to Egypt, and they lived as honored, honored guests until the pharaohs and the leaders in Egypt decided that that was a little scary. These hundreds and thousands of Hebrew people, they said they're a little too powerful. And so they enslaved them. And God's people became enslaved. But God called an Israelite man named Moses, a man raised as a prince in Egypt, a man raised in Pharaoh's own home, to call the, uh, to call the Israelites out of slavery. Moses confronted the Pharaoh, but the Pharaoh would not hear reason. So God intervened once again, sent plague after plague into the Egyptians, sent ten plagues in total. After every plague, Moses would go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say no. What would just happen on a night remembered to this day as the Passover, that God would send the tenth plague the angel of death. And he told the Israelites, sacrifice a lamb. Remember, we've already heard that language. Sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on your doorpost. And when the angel of death comes to claim the firstborn, it will pass over your house and you will be spared from its power. You will be spared from its death. So the Israelites followed God put the blood of the lamb on their doors and the angel of death passed over their homes and the Egyptians lost their firstborn, including the Pharaoh. And so the Pharaoh told Moses to take the people out of the land. And just when the Israelites, there was hundreds and thousands of them at this point, just as they got together, just as they were ready to leave, Pharaoh decided to send his armies after them. So Moses led his people to the Red Sea and they were stuck with an entire sea in front of them and thousands of chariots behind them. This is what happened, and we read it in Exodus. Moses stretched his hand out over the sea. The Lord pushed back the sea by a strong wind at night, turning the sea into dry land. The waters were split into two. The Israelites walked straight into the sea and into the dry ground. The waters formed a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Lord rescued Israel from the Egyptians on that day. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
Israel saw the amazing power of the Lord against the Egyptians. The people were in awe of the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God literally saved these people from slavery. He literally saved them through the blood of the Paschal Lamb. He literally saved them. They saw his power. They were in awe and they believed. Now, a couple weeks passed and the Israelites were out in the desert. And they said, why did you bring us out in the desert? Back in Egypt, we were slaves, but we had food and we had water. And now we're in this dry, endless desert. And God said, if you need water, I'll provide water. And so water flowed from rocks. And they said, we need food, God. And God said, if you need food, I will rain down manna from heaven. And it was so. God provided a whirlwind, tornado power by day to guide them in a pillar of fire by night. About a month passed. Their bellies were full. They had no thirst. God protected them from enemies that set upon them at all sides. Moses left to hear God's word and they melted down all the gold they had, built a golden calf and started worshiping it. These people literally saw God's power. Remember, they, they were amazed by it, they were in awe of it, and they believed. And a month passed, and they were worshiping another God. Time passed, and these same people, these people of God, they wanted a law, and God provided them a law. They needed help to defeat their enemies, and God provided them help to defeat their enemies. They cried out, for God to give them order, so God gave them judges to rule over them. They wanted to be a kingdom and have kings like other nations, so God appointed them a king. Humanity cried out time and time again for God to meet their every want. Not their needs, but their wants. And God did. Our God fulfilled every want humanity had in these early days. But what we want and what we need are two very different things, aren't they? Those laws were all but impossible to follow. Those judges were very flawed. Those kings led the people actually towards ruin. Eventually, the kingdoms of Israel would fall to dust, but God did not give up on the relationship he wanted for us. He continued to reach out through people called prophets. And we hear the prophets speak of what would truly be God's redemption. Here are these words from Isaiah. All of you who are thirsty... Come to the water. Whoever has no money, come buy food and eat. Without money, at no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of the feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. God has already established covenants, but now God is saying, I will establish an everlasting covenant. Sometimes people ask the question, why doesn't God show himself in real ways? Why doesn't God just come down and tell us, I'm God, believe in me? God has been doing that for a thousand years, for thousands of years, and it didn't make a darn bit of difference. 
God literally sent plagues on the earth to free the Israelites. He literally sent the waters split in two. He literally took a pillar of fire and led the people to the promised land. Bread fell from heaven. Water came out of rocks. And it didn't make a darn bit of difference. It takes more than impressive works. It takes more than miracles to change people's life. Because if they aren't invested in the relationship, it won't change them. God walked with people, provided for them in real tangible ways, but they still turned their back on God. If the story I was telling today, the story of one person who desperately loved someone else, was this story, wouldn't you tell that person to walk away, to give up? God wanted to be in relationship with humanity and humanity turned its back. God came back and got humanity turned its back again. God came back and humanity just abused God time and time again. But God continued to want to be in this relationship. But it was a one-way relationship. Thank God, God never gave up. Through, through Isaiah, he invited all of those who wanted to be back into that relationship, that good and life-giving relationship, that they could do it freely that it didn't cost anything, that you didn't have to do anything. God laid down in Isaiah that something big was coming. Then Ezekiel says this, I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. I will bring to you your own fertile land. I will sprinkle the clean water on you and you will be cleansed of all your pollution. I will cleanse you of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put new spirit in you. I will remove from your stony heart from your body and replace it with a living one. And I will give you my spirit so that you may walk according to my regulations and carefully observe my laws. Then you will live in the land that I have given to your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. Our God shared parts of the plan with the prophets to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel. God would show Ezekiel many wonderful things awesome things, including the promise of a new life with God. But nothing was as clear as Ezekiel's vision of a valley of dry bones. God said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy to them, Say to them, Ezekiel, the Lord God proclaims, I am opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people. I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from the dead. God was telling the prophets that there was a plan to once and for all bring people back into relationship with him. Eventually, our God would intervene in an entirely new, awesome, indefinite, and all way. God would actually become human. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word. And without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. Now the Word became flesh and made His home among us. 
We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Our God became one of us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus lived a normal life for 30-some years. He lived differently from us because he lived without sin. He was always in relationship with way. He never turned away from God, not even once. And at the age of 30, God called Jesus, God incarnate, out into the world to proclaim that the time had come when God would save God's people once and for all. He would live with us in a real way. He met people where they were. He ate with people. He healed people. He fed the hungry. He dined with people that no one else wanted to. He offered them big things like miracles, small things like food. He taught them constantly about what it meant to be in relationship with God. But living wasn't enough. Our God as a teacher, as a leader, as someone to look up to was good. It was great. But Jesus Christ wouldn't reach everyone while he was alive. In fact, much of what he taught offended people. It made the priests and the scribes, the religious folks, it made them uncomfortable. It made them hate him. It actually offended them so much that they plotted to kill Jesus. It made people who wanted to follow him but didn't want to follow them truly weep. It made people who felt that they were nothing feel like they had a purpose. But some people plotted to kill Jesus, and that's what happened. Our God was arrested, convicted, executed like a common criminal. And as we celebrated on Good Friday, Jesus died on a cross. Now we get to this point in the story, and we, I think, are sometimes offended. We ask questions like, why did Jesus have to die? Maybe you're thinking, I didn't ask for him to die. Maybe you're thinking, I don't want him to have died. We wouldn't speak it aloud, but maybe we're secretly asking, why did he do it? What did he do that for? This is my sixth time preaching in my life on Easter. And I've always viewed Easter kind of as the Super Bowl of sermons, right? You know, we, you know, pastors are always trying to be comedians or rock stars or something, but we're not. So this is kind of like the Super Bowl of sermons. And every year when I come to this time and I prepare a time of celebration, a time of teaching for Easter, I just try to jam-pack it with as many illustrations, as many great metaphors, great stories. I, you know, I want people to cry. I want people to laugh. I want, you know, I want there to be great videos. I want there to be, you know, awesome things. Oh, you know, laminin is in it, and it looks like it's in our bodies, and it looks like the cross. Isn't that awesome? You know, that's exactly what I want to do. But this year I stopped, and I, I just thought to myself, Easter isn't about fancy things. Easter isn't about great illustrations. Easter isn't about you know, an, an awesome video or a cool story. Easter is about one simple thing. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That, that's, that's worth clapping for, right? 
I could spend the next seven, eight hours, and, I, and if you want me to, I can, talking about why Jesus had to die, talking about why he did die. I can give you theories of atonement. I can give you deep theology. But the only thing you really need to know is God loves you so much that he took a bullet for you. He jumped on that cross. He carried it for you. He died for you. He didn't deserve it, but he did it freely. He didn't do it to guilt you into doing something. He doesn't even necessarily care if you even acknowledge it. He did it for you anyway. Jesus became something for us. He became a lamb. Remember Abraham in the story of salvation that we've been talking about? Abraham, God was given a lamb to sacrifice instead of his son. Abraham would give up his only begotten son for God. And God said, if Abraham can do that, I can do that too. And he gave us a lamb. You know that lamb that the people of Israel sacrificed on Passover so that the angel of death would pass over them? God gave us a lamb in Jesus Christ, a paschal lamb, so that through his blood, death would pass over us once and for all. That's what that lamb is all about. So we come to the cross, we come to that death, but that's not the end of the story. I'm not going to read from you John chapter 20, which is one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture, but we're going to watch it together from the Gospel of John. Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen cloths, but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture which said that he must rise from death. Then the disciples went back home. Mary stood crying outside the tomb. While she was still crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb. And saw two angels there, dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head, the other at the feet. Woman, why are you crying? They asked her. They have taken my Lord away. 
and I do not know where they have put him. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who was it that you were looking for? She thought he was the gardener, so she said to him, If you took him away, sir, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. She turned toward him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni. This means teacher. Do not hold on to me. Because I have not yet gone back up to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to him who is my Father and their Father. My God and their God. So Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and related to them what he had told her. The story of salvation which we have heard again tonight from God created the heavens and the earth until the tomb was empty is a story of our God who continued to love us even though we turned away. A story of God's just insatiable desire to be in relationship with us. The story climaxed at the cross and resolved in the empty tomb. Death was not the end of the story. Jesus died, but he was raised from the dead. He lived again and continues to live today. Very simply, Easter is about our God resurrected. Easter is the season of new life. It is a celebration of this story of salvation, a story which has been throughout the entirety of history. And believe me, if God has been trying to save the humanity through the entirety of history, God has been trying to save you for the entirety of your life. It doesn't need a lot of frills or props. It doesn't even need a lot of theology, very truthfully. It's pretty simple. 1980 so years ago, God intervened once and for all. There's more to the story, <laughs> but we already know the ending. Our God conquers every enemy that stands in the way of the relationship he intended for us to have with him. Paul says it like this. Don't you know that you were baptized into Christ Jesus and you were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too can we walk in the newness of life. If we were resurrected, or if we were united together in his death like his, we will also be united together in the resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. Did you hear that? When we die in Jesus Christ, that person who is controlled by sin in our lives is killed once and for all. It dies on that cross. That way we wouldn't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all through his death, but he lives with God for God in his new life in the same way, 
you should also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God through Jesus Christ. For me, this has become the fundamental scripture of new life. Through baptism, we share in Christ's death and resurrection. Living new life, he offers us. It's why we're here. I was living apart from God for a long time. And it wasn't working very well. (laughs) Maybe some of you have that same experience. But through Christ, I died to that old life so I could have new life. That's our mission here. To find those who are tired of failing, tired of dying slowly because of sin, and offering them new life through Jesus Christ. Tonight we declared the entire story of salvation so that you would realize how much God loves you, that he lived for you, that he died for you, and that you could experience that love so much more through his new life. We're going to do something different tonight as we transition into the next part of our worship experience. Uh, We didn't celebrate any baptisms tonight, and I can't re-baptize you, so don't tell anybody that we're doing this. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But sometimes it's good to have a reminder for those of us who have been baptized. I was baptized as an infant. Many of you were baptized as an infant, or maybe you were baptized as a young adult or uh, as a child. Maybe you were baptized as an adult, but it's been a while. Tonight I want to offer you a chance uh, as the band comes forward as we transition into this just wonderful time of praise and we're just going to praise the heck out of our God, right? We're just going to praise the heck out of our God who lives for us. And I'm going to offer you, if you just feel so moved, to have an experience or a re-experience, a remembrance, we'll call it, of your baptism. If you want to come forward, you can come forward to me and I will ask or I will remind you of your baptism. I will offer, I will make a sign of the cross in your head, on your head in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, reminding you that you once died with Christ, but now you are new in Christ. If you're at a place in your life where you haven't been baptized, but you feel like you just want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so bad, you just want that new life. You can come to me and you can talk, me, talk to me right now and I will baptize you right here. You don't need any fancy classes for somebody to follow Christ. You don't need any fancy things. God doesn't call that for us. God offers it freely to you. You just tell me. Tell me if you've not been baptized. I'll assume if you're coming forward that you have been and we'll offer a remembrance. So I'm going to offer that to any members of the band first and then they can come up and transition us. After the band starts playing, we will have offering, and I just thank you uh, for any way you can support New Life. But I will stand up here as long as I need to to help you remember that you once died in Christ, but now you are new.